friends at SmartPack are on a mission. A mission to help support even more healthy horses and happy riders. And that is why they carry absolutely everything that you need. From brands that you know and love to SmartPack exclusive supplements like their full family of SmartFlex joint supplements to all of the tack essentials for your horse. Plus, they stand by all of their products with their 100% happiness guarantee. Visit smartpack.com or find them on Instagram at smartpack to discover how they can help support your equestrian journey. Have a great ride. You're listening to the USCA official podcast, which takes you behind the scenes of eventing, covering all the big events, professional tips and tricks, interviews, special guests, and the latest USCA eventing news. Welcome to the USCA official podcast and listeners, as promised, we are back with a team talk show to reflect on all things Pan-American Games. Bobby Costello is with me. Bobby, um, I'm looking forward to kind of getting the debrief on all things Santiago because it has been a pretty manic couple of weeks for you guys. Yes. Yeah, totally. it really has been. Um Lots of lots of exciting things, lots of great things, lots, lots of great things. <laughs> Bit but of a roller coaster no in there as well. What. Nicole, I'm here no matter what. I'm here for it. You do you know what, Bobby? You are the man of the people because you are gonna give us the the uh, honest uh, inside line and we're gonna reflect on I look, being totally transparent, we'd all love to be sat here reflecting on a weekend of double gold and maybe a couple of other individual medals and everything going brilliantly well. Um wasn't by any means, a disaster. Team silver, individual gold, still some very strong performances. And actually, I think, you know, high expectations going into the week. Um, But I think actually, you know, shows like this actually give us a real chance to kind of talk about things when they aren't quite going to plan. It's very easy to talk about things when they're all going really, really well. And actually, it's nice to kind of reflect and dig a little bit deeper. So that's what we're hoping to bring you on this show. Take you behind the scenes as always, listeners. Uh, first of all, Bobby, take us back a few weeks to the build-up to the Pan American Games this year and how it all went for the team. We caught up with Sharon White um, on the last episode, pre, pre-Pan American Games, when I think everybody was kind of the final mandatory outing was done and and you were guys were heading to Maryland to do a run through the dressage test. So how were the final couple of weeks in camp pre-travel? Yeah, um, we had a great lead up, honestly. Um, we did do our final outing um, at Lockmoy, had a wonderful outing there. Carolyn McIntosh and her whole crew just put on a great show for us. Um, we then um, did our final gallop in Pennsylvania. Uh, and a beautiful um, all-weather uphill gallop, um, and all of the horses came out great at, out of that. And then, um, yes, just just before the horses left um, to travel to Chile, um, we were able to to run through our dressage test, our Pan Am dressage test, uh, on the Maryland um, Five Star at, at the venue, and that was very very useful. I think the horse that that ring was actually quite um, electric, weirdly, because there was with nobody really there per se um, for that but it really gave everybody you know those last few little details that they had to make sure that they saw to before um, before you know Chile and I think that it proved to be for the dressage anyway a very useful exercise for us and so yeah it was it was a good a very very good lead up the horses got to 
um, Chile through Miami um, very, very well, arrived in good shape. And um, so, yeah, everything leading up to the to the start of the competition went as bad as smoothly as we could have hoped. And just take us back, because I know we did discuss this, I think, on the last Team Talk show, which would have been post-ARC and probably in August sometime. But the the selection for the Pan American Games, while qualification was in the bag for the Olympics next uh, next year, which was picked up at Protoni last year, which was kind of a real tick in the box, um, you know, one less thing to be worried about this weekend. When you guys were picking the team and the selectors were kind of pulling the squad together, it was very clear and, and you were very clear that actually everybody was going to be competitive, that, you know, it was a case of going to be as good as you could be and leave no stone unturned. Absolutely. Um, we, we, we always um, had the vision of going and being absolutely as competitive as possible and singing, sending the most competitive team without having to send all of our top combinations that we're maybe um, looking forward towards next year. Um, so we did end up taking four combinations, never had done a senior championship, either horse or rider. So that was great. Um, a lot, you know, they had plenty of experience, but I think especially looking back on this, there's something to be said for for that first senior championship and and knowing the pressure of that compared to a nation's cup compared to you know a friendlier team competition so um that was that was great experience um that everybody gained and we had Alyssa Phillips who went as our traveling reserve and that and she was super in that role and you know she will have gained a lot of experience just kind of being along for that trip as well so um yeah our we we went with every intention of uh, pulling the trigger and you know I think we gave it our best shot. How different is the dynamic in having a team of total kind of senior championship debutants compared to where you might have you know a couple of riders that have ridden on a good number of championship teams and then a couple of less experienced at that sort of environment riders how yeah. different is that? Well, you know, I would probably say that Sharon had the, the least amount of, you know, team experience um, because I don't I don't know. I have to think back if, if, you know, how many, if any Nations Cups she had done um, previous to my taking on this role. Um, Sydney's done a, a few Nations Cups. Caroline, even though she's quite young, has done a few Nations Cups, as has um, Liz. But again, those are different from a, from a full-fledged senior championship where, you know, all of a sudden we have four new um, women with their beautiful pink coats. And, you know, that just putting that on is is a whole nother, it's exciting, but it's also more pressure riding for your country. So um, yeah, it was, it was, it was great to get everybody that, you know, four new people that experience. And I think, you know, hopefully it's going to pay off in the future. What about the the venue? Give us an insight into to Chile and Santiago and the the setup for the week's yeah. competition. The venue was spectacular. Um, it was in a, a town called Quillota. Um, it's a uh, god geographically. I know we stayed right on the coast, like literally right on the ocean, and we had about a 35, 40 minute um, bus ride to the venue each day. Um, there's really wasn't a lot between where we stayed and where the venue is. So um, we actually, you know, to find adequate um, housing or hotel, we, we were a little bit away, but it was it was well worth it. Um, but the venue itself, um, it was military based, all horse related, um, Calvary uh, school, military installation, fantastic facilities. I. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure this place benefited because they they 
it was a real legacy project. You know, they went in there. This place has been a a military uh, installation school for probably, I think, 1938 is when the military moved in there. And um, wonderful facilities, all-weather arenas, big, huge indoor covered arena, smaller uh, covered arena, um, huge stadium with all-new footing. Um, the cross-country course was was spectacular um beautifully presented the footing was was top notch the course was just right i believe for this competition it was a very strong three star which it was meant to be um uh you know the time was tough to make i mean the whole the whole competition honestly truly could not have gone better the stabling was beautiful um the people could not have been nicer so the whole um experience from you know a venue the 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 volunteers the officials were great um it really was a very positive experience and um you know it's it's cool that we left now a venue that you know the south americans use can use you know to keep you know growing in the sport and getting more experience and hopefully they'll be able to have lots of competitions there in the future it always looked absolutely incredible everything from the presentation of the cross country and and all of the facilities just looked second to none i have to ask though bobby did you do the real tourist thing and go and stand next to the world record fence the highest fence um, jumped uh it, i walked near it we actually did take a, a tour of kind of the the the, the place there, there's a beautiful old chapel the old mansion which is at the highest piece of the property um there was a museum uh actually watched a video all about the that um world record um high jumping competition and i so i did see the jump i didn't go right up to it i think actually it was in a i, I could we couldn't get to it be, it was behind like um a chain link fence i think we, if we had gone around we could have got got to it but i but i definitely had seen it and it was cool that there was kind of a replica of that jump obviously not as high um on the cross-country course it was very cool it's amazing. I mean, listeners, 2.47 metres, eight foot one. I think there was a brilliant photo of William Fox Pitt, who everybody knows is probably the tallest man in eventing. Um, and it makes him look positively tiny. It's absolutely yeah. incredible. And and I think it, it just goes to show that actually the venue has been long, at, you know, a real focal point of equestrian sport. And actually, it's it's fantastic, as you say, that that legacy can continue on now. Um, let's crack on with the, the competition as it unfolded, because actually the dressage, first phase, uh, team goals and the top four individual slots on the leaderboard as well. I think it's safe to say that actually you'd have been pretty happy at the end of dressage day. Yeah, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time before this competition, you know, kind of scoping out who our competition would be. And I, I was going to be quite happy with about a five point lead after the dressage. Um, I think it ended up being more like maybe 11, 13 points, 11 points. Um, so we were we were very, very happy after that first phase. I think everyone really did uh, their homework, saw the places that they were maybe losing points in the last couple of competitions. Um, uh, you know, we had a couple of personal bets. Um, I think everybody did their job on the first day. So um, we were very happy with the way the competition started. And in terms of the, the cross-country, Pierre Le Gupil, the course designer who will be designing in Paris next year, I know the team had had some feedback from David O'Connor on his Europeans track as well. Uh, what was the feeling like on the feedback that you'd been given and then again, kind of the course that was laid out for you, beautifully presented, beautifully pulled together. But how did it 
actually shape up when you got there on the ground? You know, it's it's so interesting because uh, you know the track was was beautifully laid out. The fences were were beautiful. Um, everything was very fair. Um, it wasn't terribly big size wise, um, but it was a- as technical as I think it could be at that level. Um, having said that, I don't know how much you know the, the a little bit of the information that we got about Pierre's courses beforehand. You know, it was nice to know, but I don't think it really. I don't think we were really like, oh, yeah, we were expecting that. Like, it just, you know, it, it just was a really lovely course and, and well thought out. No tricks. You didn't really have to be, have ridden his courses, you know, in order to be successful there, um, obviously. Uh, I don't know how much we have learned going forward to the Olympics. I think it's always useful. You know, you, you ride, as riders, you get very used to riding courses. I used to love Mike Etherton Smith's courses, and he was designing a ton back when I was um, competing at the top level. And, you know, I just loved his courses and, and really got comfortable with them. And, you know, maybe just the fact that that our riders have, have now ridden over one of his courses, um, you know, give them a little bit of confidence. But honestly, I don't know how much we learned to take forward to the Olympics. Um, I don't think that's either good nor bad. I just think it's um, it was just a beautifully well-designed course. There were no tricks. There was nothing that that our horses hadn't seen. Um, so, you know, I, I feel very confident about what we're going to see in Paris. Yeah, it was a great course. He did he did a, just a perfect job. And did Cross Country Day unfold as you expected? Um, yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, we put Sydney in that position because she has, in the couple of Nations Cups that she has done, she has been our leadoff rider. She is, you know, Sydney, she's funny because she just, she kind of has this very laid back, southern kind of drawly attitude and you know and nothing really ever phases her but and it but it's and she's always happy and you know doesn't seem like she could get nervous and I think she really is all those things like I just knew that she was going to go out and do what she usually does which is I mean I think that's her thing just going out and just giving it all she has she is so such a good cross-country rider um so naturally forward and that's not the fastest horse in the world you know, he spends lots of time up in the air and, you know, he's not the quickest turn of foot, but, you know, she very handily made the time and um, she just, she rode a absolutely perfect round. Um, we were, we were thrilled to have that uh, as a barometer for, for, you know, how hopefully the rest, the rest of the day would go for everybody. She ended up being comfortably inside the time, which actually I'm sure the feedback that came back to the others was really useful as well. How, how about the rest of the day? Let's see, Sharon was next to go um, and she did a, a, a really, really good job. That horse probably has the least amount of, you know, he, he had a couple of years ago, you know, she went through a few rough events. They had a couple of falls and she you know, really has rehabilitated that horse's record and her partnership over the last 18 months and she did a, a super super job she we, she had a very specific plan um a little bit maybe even a little bit different than the other guys so she she took a slightly longer route at the second water which was literally maybe three seconds longer she was always gonna do the the long way at the corners towards the end but we actually then figured out that um you know, that would probably be best for everyone those corners were huge and they were very much out of context with the rest of the course uh, in, in them, you know, in themselves, the, the combination wasn't terribly difficult, but those were big, wide maximum for that 
level um, corners. And we just didn't want the horses to be surprised, you know, towards the end of the course when really nothing was super huge um, leading up to that that moment. And honestly, the long way there was maybe three seconds. So um, it was just, a, yeah, we, we made that decision with Ian, obviously making that decision to have everybody go the long way there. And that was Ian Stark, who was out in his capacity as cross-country advisor? Yes, and he did just what he did for us at Protoni last year, just get everybody right in the, the right frame of mind to go out and to, to do their job. So, you know, Sharon uh, had a, a really, really good round, just a couple of time penalties, so we were thrilled with that result. Um, Caroline then just stormed around. That is a only an eight-year-old, but very mature in his way of going. Um, that horse and Caroline rode him absolutely beautifully. And then Liz Haviday was um, our final rider. Old Mickey was very, very strong that day. She had to do quite a bit of anchoring all the way around. The jumps weren't really necessarily holding him, but she did a, a very, very good job to get him safe and home with, um, you know, I think four time penalties, which just barely dropped her to second. But um, the most important thing is it left the team in the lead by quite a bit. So we, we, were, we were very happy with our crop country day comfortable going into the final day it is an interesting one isn't it you know when you talk about the Pan Am Games and you know this year they've sort of been upgraded to the the four-star dressage uh, and show jumping and then a championship three-star long cross-country but three-star long is actually what two levels below what Mixmaster C would be regularly jumping at the sort of the five-star and what the kind of fences that he would be seeing and actually it sometimes those more experienced horses actually it's it's harder for them to drop down a level as well because there's less for them to jump there's less for them to back off and actually they sort of get more and more into it because they they love their job yeah i mean the horses are so smart they know that horse knew by the third or fourth jump he's like ah this is awesome (laughs) 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 i'm just gonna do my thing and you better hold on so no uh yeah, he was he he was definitely uh, quite strong that day, and Liz did a good job getting him safely home for sure. I'm sure it was not going through Liz's mind that this was awesome, and let's crack on. It was probably like, oh come on, Mickey, let's yeah. uh, let's yeah. focus on the task in hand. Right, going into show jumping day, at this point the script all felt quite comfortable. Um, I think there were a, a few fences in hand. And then quite a long wait for actually the the counting scores to be um, kind of coming forward to jump. Because actually, am I right in saying uh, Caroline was in the lead, Liz was second, and actually um, Sharon White was in the individual bronze medal position. So it was the top three, and it was, of course, reverse order of merit. So actually, your three team counting scores were the last three to jump. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, it was was, uh, very hectic. you know, show jumping, as you can imagine, um, having, you know, three in the top three and um, Sydney had having just finished her round. Um, so but we had, you know, we had plenty of help and we had, you know, plenty of jumps. So that definitely did, you know, it, it was it was boom, boom, boom. But but we certainly were ready for for that with enough people on the ground to, to make sure that all the horses had a proper warm up and, um, you know, as prepared as they could be for that for that phase. How do you, I guess, communicate during that? Because actually, you went in with quite a comfortable buffer um, mm-hmm. ahead of, ahead of Brazil and Canada in particular. Canada had brilliant 
performances in the show jumping phase. Um, so how do you communicate actually what is unfolding when um, they're all it, running that close together? And, and what do you tell people and what do you actually elect very, not to tell them? Yeah, it's very hard. It's not like cross country where you can give someone, you know, uh, a little bit of strategy as they're literally walking to the start box. This, the show jumping, you know, you basically go in and you j- jump the course. And, you know, we learned that you didn't, we didn't learn a ton by, you know, there were a lot of many, you know, there were a lot, a lot of not so great rounds early on, you know, with seven, eight, nine, ten 10 rails. Um, so, you know, we wouldn't have learned a ton by the time the top courses uh, came along, but, um, but, you know, everybody had, uh, a plan. Um, I think everybody felt comfortable with the plan. There's not a lot, you know, of, there was really no last minute changes to, um, to what we were going to do. You know, that the course basically was the course. We knew that the time was a little bit tight. Um, we knew the lines that, you know, you know, how they were riding, everybody felt very comfortable with that. And, um, you know, everybody, you know, just had their plan and they went in there with every, um, anticipation of, of riding to that plan and it just proved <laughs> it didn't really work out that way unfortunately. Well it, it unfolds so quickly actually when when you're actually thinking of the top three jumping that's probably a space of like six or seven minutes. What was going through your mind in those six or seven uh, minutes? It, it was not going to do any good to know that oh gosh you know we had this many rails in hand now we only have this many rails in hand you're not certainly not going to go up to a rider and say hey do you know that we all of a sudden only have one rail in hand you would never do that so everybody just really had to stay focused and do their job and um you know it just didn't work out and it was you know it, I, I i'm not gonna lie it was a complete shock i had in my mind you know they're all good jumpers um Sydney's horse, he is a spectacular jumper, but can have a rail or two. You know, that horse actually it did not surprise me terribly um, that it had a couple of rails. I was hoping for either one or a clear, but, you know, it certainly wasn't a disaster for that horse. Um, the other ones, you know, you would you would say any, any horse can have a rail, but I would never have pegged any of those other guys to have more than one. But, you know, they're like these guys, these horses are not machines. And um, none of those women rode their horses poorly at all. Um, I think they all gave them a, a good ride. And of course, they're going to go back and we're going to we, we're going to have a debrief. Everybody is kind of just working their way home as we speak. A couple of them um, stayed in Chile for a couple of days. So, you know, we'll go back and look at the videos. Um, I've certainly looked at them now um, several times and, you know, just see what we can learn like yeah like maybe on the third day on this horse he needs a little bit more help here or like on this horse maybe I need to think about something else so um there's certainly not going to be any excuses like I I will not make one excuse for why we did not um you know rise to the occasion on Sunday um you you, I'm sure you could make plenty of excuses but I'm just not going to do it we're just going to have to get better and figure out what the heck happened and you know and go on from there it was unbelievably close, point one of a penalty. Um, you know, that's a second in the jumping, a second on the cross country. You know, it's very small. I think it would be safe to say, and correct me if I'm wrong, that actually even if that point one um, had kind of gone the other way and there had been one less time penalty somewhere or, or something had been slightly different, that actually even then, if you'd have held on to the goals, there would have been kind of a, a feeling within the team of actually you don't just want to win and when you want to be able yeah. to be 
unbelievably strong. Absolutely. And um, yeah, you know, we've, we've had a couple of, you know, nail biters as far as 0.1 or a tenth of a point or whatever, uh, hundredth of a point. But yeah, had we won the gold, that would have been fantastic because in 10 years, people would not be like, oh, yeah, you guys, you know, won the goal, but you had, you know, 10 rails doing it. But, but, <laughs> yeah. um, so, we, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's hard to, I think everybody needs a little bit more time to kind of let sink in exactly how the day unfolded. And, um, you know, we were all very disappointed and, and, you know, we knew that everybody back home is watching and has huge expectations and, you know, it was looking so good going into it. And, yeah, it's incredibly disappointing, but but no more disappointing for 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 those ladies on the team. And um, and what I wanted to, you know, the, the first thing that I said um, when people were asking me about, you know, the disappointment, I said, well, in all of this talk of disappointment, we cannot, you know, we cannot lose sight of the fact that Caroline Kamuchu um, went in there and, you know, even though she had that one very dramatic rail. She she rode that horse beautifully all weekend and she was the individual Pan Am champion. And that is huge. And, you know, it would have been great for us to be able to accompany that with with a team goal. But that just was not meant to be for whatever reason, which we will get to the bottom of. But at the end of the day, we have to celebrate her victory and because her victory is also a gold medal for the U.S. And that's a, a big deal, I think. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And actually, on the least experienced horse of the team, uh, only an eight-year-old, he only stepped up the advanced level this year. He went over to Stragon for the Nations Cup, finished uh, individual silver there, took the team silver as part of the US team Mm. as well. Um, Actually, their performance, Caroline feels like she's sort of been knocking on the door for a little while. I think she won her first four-star back in... 2016 with the apprentice in Carolina or something so she's been around for a while but actually the strength and depth in her horsepower and the kind of the the horses that she has coming through that's a really really exciting result and, and when we look for you know yes we've got Paris on the horizon but a home Olympics in five years time in LA that horse only eight now he's going to be 13 that actually must very much be on the mind of everybody as well yeah you know she she is she is going about um, her her job of producing horses in a very smart way. Um, she, you know, she she has lots of horses coming along. Just the weekend prior at Fair Hill, and she um, was very competitive on two horses. I believe she won the three long, I believe, and was very highly placed did, on yeah. another. And had all these horses do super well in the young event horse classes. So. You know, she's setting her up for for herself up for long term success. She's got a successful business of buying and selling horses, so um, you know she has a lot on her plate. And you know, I I have already you know advised her just you know make sure that that the you know if you want to be the best in the world and go to Olympic Games and World Games, you know you have to make sure you have the right ratio of the number of horses in the barn, you know, compared to what can you you know comfortably do to make sure. You know, you have the horses, the horses coming through the horsepower, but but not so much, not so many that, you know, you're you're uh, running around with your head cut off all day. Because I think, you know, there's 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 dozens of examples of people that have got to where they got, you know, later in life because they had it took them a while to figure out that, you know, you can't do it all. And so I think she's very, very, very smart. She's a smart businesswoman and um, she's really figuring it out. And I. I expect her to be a, a force on teams for years and years to come. We actually uh, loved having her over on British soil 
last summer when she spent the the summer over with Pippa Funnel. And I think she would credit Pippa to a, a lot of you know, kind of few tweaks in in her kind of system at home and things that she's changed, particularly in recent years. And actually this year she has more international wins than any other rider in the world. She's on 12. Um, her closest competitor is, is Lara Delida Kirkemeyer from Belgium, I think on about 10. So, you know, she's yeah. well up there um, uh, above some of the, the best riders in the world. The yeah. one, one question I want to ask you before we go on to talk about next year, obviously disappointment on the final day and that sort of roller coaster that we've talked about. How do you manage that kind of disappointment in an elite sporting environment in terms of where we go from here to actually drive the squad, the team, everybody to be better and to kind of grow and improve on what comes next? Yeah, well, I mean, no doubt I am still incredibly optimistic about the Olympics next year. I mean, there may be a horse, there may be two from, you know, that that may contend for for the Olympics next year, but but you know we we have uh, a, a very good depth of top top class horses that again we did not need to use for the um, Pan American Games this year. So um, I think if you look, you know, at least on paper, um, the U.S. is sitting very handily as far as you know you know we we we're putting the the horse and rider combinations in place to be competitive next year. So I don't think I don't I don't want people to say, oh my God. Pan Ams are a disaster. Like the U.S., yeah. is, you know, so they've lost everything that they've gained. That you can't really compare those two competitions. So you know, one's at a, a three-star level. The Olympics is, for all intents and purposes, at the five-star level. Although I think they call it a four-star. Um, so we we are very well positioned and feeling very good about where we are right now, leading up to um, Paris for next year. So I want everybody to stay, you know, very positive and yes. Yeah, you know, we got a big kick in the ass from Santiago. And I think that, you know, it will help these riders, you know, look at their programs, come back even stronger next year. And, you know, and that's, that's what it takes. Not every weekend is going to go great. And um, for either a team or an individual riders, not trying to cover up any issues, but kind of meeting them head on and just getting better. And so I, I hope, you know, in a year, we can look back and say, you know what, that was maybe a good kick in the butt for 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 us at that moment. And and hopefully it's going to just, you know, spearhead even better things in the future. But um, again, there won't be any excuses made. Just got to be better. Got to be able to, you know, really close the deal on the last day. And everybody's going to be figuring out how they can do that. I love the way you've put that. And I think it's really important to kind of reflect on the positives and, and that kind of thing. But actually, it's better at the Pan American Games that things don't quite go to plan and not at the Olympic Games that they don't quite yeah, go to plan. And absolutely. sometimes that kind of firm reminder, you know, the Brits had it in Brittoni last year where they had a bit of a shock to their system of, um, mm-hmm. you know, on paper, they were they were very much the strongest team there and things just absolutely didn't unfold as they thought they might. And actually... You know, a, a healthy reminder here and there is never a bad thing. Nobody ever wants it, but actually you've got to harness the the positive side of it and, and drive forwards. Um, what happens now in the next few months? What goes on behind the scenes at this part of an Olympic cycle? Yeah, well, as, as great as, you know, the, that event was, I'm so happy that the Pan Ams is over. It just seemed, you know, it was so late this year. Yeah. And it really took a lot of concentration you know, the selection period for it was super long because it was very late in the year. Everything just 
seem to be all about the Pan Ams as it as it should have been. Um, but now this competition is over. We, we take what we can learn from that, but really we need to start focusing on Paris 100% because that is going to be here before you know it. Yeah, and so um, you know that we do have two more events Galway this weekend, Terra Nova in a couple of weeks. Um, but but I think it's you know in my mind it's it's getting a little bit clearer who who the top horses are going to be for that competition next year. Um, and I'm not going going to tell you who I think those are. <laughs> Come on, Bobby. We're all friends that, that, here. That, that, <laughs> it actually really doesn't matter at all what I think. You know, it's the it's the selectors, but you know, I'm excited for for next year, and we will. You know, we're not gonna we're not gonna go all of a sudden changing things dr- drastically. That again, the riders will have their own programs. We'll offer them support. They will receive funding. Um, our top elite and pre elite athletes. And we will we will um, have a couple of training opportunities in the, in the winter in the winter time. We're going to try to jump some of um, oh the the name of the gentleman who is going to be designing the um, the show jumping escapes me. But um, you know hopefully we'll be able to get some of the riders to Ocala and Wellington where he'll be designing a little bit to okay. to, to experience some of his courses. Um, so you know we have we'll we'll be fine tuning our plan um, as we go into the to the short fall early winter break and then be ready to come out next year swinging. And what about the selection trials? Obviously, this year I'm sure plays its part as well. What will be the selection trials next spring? Have they been confirmed yet? Sure. Just so you know, just as uh, Santiago went on forever, next year is going to happen very quickly. There's just three um, selection trials. In, in addition to all the trials from this year, a full year of selection trials. Next year is just um, Lexington, um, Badminton, and uh, Triumph will be the three three selection trials for next year. Um, each rider will have to. You know, some horses are already qualified. They got their selection qualification out of the way this year. Um, next year, people there may be some people that say, you know what, my best preparation is going to go and do a five star, either Kentucky Badminton or another four star long at Tryon. Um, there may be some people that feel very, very confident what they've shown already, and they may decide to do the four short at Kentucky as their big preparation. But um, but each each individual will have to make that decision for themselves. I'm going to be happy to chime in where I can. The selectors aren't going to tell them what they should do. It's going to act, absolutely have to be the rider's decision um, with my input on, you know, what is going to best prepare them to be selected. So, um, you know, with, those conversations honestly have not even started yet. So um, there's not a lot really to, to read into any of that, but it's going to be a, it's going to be a very, very hotly contested spring. It's not going to be easy to make that Olympic team. There's only three that get to go and compete. There is the the one traveling reserve that, that it, because of the Olympic format, could be slotted in at some moment. But um, but it is a very exclusive club getting onto an Olympic team now. And um, it's going to be it's going to be a fierce battle, I think, um, even within the U.S. for those few um, spots. I have absolutely no doubt it is going to be very tough and there'll be a few people coming out in the spring with a point to prove and it will get very, very competitive. Just on the the three and a team, because actually we spoke about it so much in the build up to Tokyo and I'm sure we're going to start kind of ramping that up again, building up to Paris because Tokyo, it didn't really feel like the roller coaster that we thought we might happen, particularly on cross country day unfolded. 
what's your take on three and a team and how do you approach coaching and and selecting I know you're not a selector but how do the selectors then have to consider the three in a team element into that final choice yeah I mean in my opinion you really can't go to the Olympics without you have to have three horses all three have got to be capable of doing a 25 dressage give or take a couple of points um they've got to be capable of going clear across country and clear inside the time and they've got to be good show jumpers. Like they're, they, I don't think that there's room for a horse that you, oh, well, you know, they're going to, they can, they can really make it up on the cross country. This is a different competition than any other thing that we do. Um, it'll be different than for Tony was. It's different from a badminton or Burley or, or uh, Kentucky uh, or Maryland um, where, you know, you can still climb quite a bit after the dressage if you have a horse that jumps, but man, you, I, I, unless it's a, unless it's a, you know, freaky bad weather day in Paris. It's going to be a fast track. I know it's going to be a little twisty turny, but um, but you're just going to have to have three superb athletes um, and riders on your team um, to be to be competitive. So everybody better be getting their you know their fancy dressage boots and and show jumping springs on as well as having a great cross country horse because it's going to be very very competitive to get on this team. Oh, it gives me goosebumps just talking about it, just thinking about it building up to next year. Um, Bobby, thank you so much. It has been an absolute pleasure. Really appreciate you talking to us and giving us such a, a candid and honest insight. Um, wasn't the the dream that we all hoped for, but onwards and upwards and still so much positive, uh, so many positives to take from it, most notably Caroline's individual gold, as you very rightly said. Um, lots to look forward to with 2024 Great. in mind, and we really appreciate it. It's always nice talking to you, Nicole. Thank you so much. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the USA podcast and a real insight behind the scenes in Team USA. Uh, we'll be back very soon with more on the USA podcast, but stay tuned and we will be back, I'm sure, in the spring. Bobby, I'm, we'll probably speak to you pre-Kentucky, um, pre all of those selection trials to get a, an insight into how the, the winter has unfolded and look forward to what is going to be a very, very busy few months. But for now, that is all we've got time for. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the USCA official podcast. If you have any suggestions or feedback, then we would love to hear from you. Get in touch through any of our social media platforms at US Eventing. And don't forget to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform to make sure you don't miss an episode.